Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Time to talk about Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get amazing deals. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe to book. No long, endless lists of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels. For whether you are a planner or like to leave things for the very last minute, and with Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app now. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he just announced his premiere at Cannes. It's Andy Greenwald! What what a day for both me and the troubled production of Solo, a Star Wars story. Can't be troubled if you're premiering at Cannes. Can I just say... Solo premiering at Cannes is a little bit like debuting the new Kraft macaroni and cheese at Noma. Only because macaroni and cheese is great. You don't know that. That's the wrong what place for it. What if Solo is forged ingredients, son? Oh, right. It's hand harvested with sea buckthorn? <laughs> yeah. What if all the sorrel is in there? Yeah. That's Ron Howard's vibe. <laughs> Wow, big news day. Lots to talk about. Uh, Andy, a, sort of a truncated show for you and I and and the riffage that we are best known for. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a new show that's coming out on Sunday that we're really excited about called Killing Eve on BBC America. You're also going to talk a little bit about the new season of Legion. Um, and then we have our interview with Alexa Fogel, the casting director for Atlanta, for The Wire, for The Deuce, for Ozark. I thought you weren't going to say for Ozark. For Oz, for NYPD Blue she yeah. worked on. Alexa was so gracious to give us some of her time a couple weeks ago. Uh, we recorded this interview prior to, and nor have either of us seen at the time of recording, what is shaping up to be, some, I, I would imagine, a pretty special episode of Atlanta tonight. FX is broadcasting it. The entire 41-minute episode without commercial interruption this evening, so I'm sure people will be talking about it tomorrow. We, we just didn't get a chance to see it. We spoke to Alexa right after the, uh, two weeks ago, so the episode after I think Helen, it's called right? Helen. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, it, and, well, well, we'll talk more about that interview right before we set it up. Yeah, so uh, not a lot to go through. Like we said, uh, Solo's going to Cannes, but, you know. Sure. Sure. Great. Awesome. I'm sure awesome. it'll be good. I, I actually am still, I still hold my Solo stock. I, I think it's, you know, are you shorting it? No, I'm holding on to it. Like, while it's in distress, I I am holding on to it. I have a new thing I'm doing with pop culture things. Where you're just going to have your take on it and then just clutch a hold on to it. It's basically the Markel Fultz theory of stock stock options. Basically, there are certain things that are distressed, but that cost you nothing to be holding on to. To be a fan of. Yeah, like, it cost me nothing to believe in Markel Fultz. Can I just... So, when he comes back... I get tweets being people like, you're the only one who still believed in him. I'm like, it didn't cost me anything to believe in it. So Wait, I still believe I love in this. Solo. Yeah. It's not going to cost me anything if, it, if it's bad. If it's good, everybody's like, man, Chris Ryan, soothsayer. I love your enthusiasm and your positivity. I want to push back a little on the idea that it doesn't cost you anything because loving Markel Fultz cost you four weeks of Joel Embiid. <laughs> Because that his, was fluke. It was a fluke. His face bone would still be intact if it wasn't for the young prince's head. Yeah, I guess there's there's there, there's a little bit of like a so, butterfly flaps its wings. That, that's all I'm Element saying. to it. Anyway, I'm excited for that. Uh, we were also excited about this show, Killing Eve. From I would say I, I, I'm pretty sure Phoebe Waller Bridge is on the uh, is on the wall. Yeah, I think she was on the wall for Fleabag, right? Yeah. Um, so one of our favorites, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, is back with a new show that she's not in. No. She wrote it. 
uh, for BBC America, and it stars Sandra Oh. It's called Killing Eve. Uh, and it kind of has, if you, if, so I, I would say recommended if you like mm-hmm. uh, End of the Fucking World. It has some of that sort of dark, pretty violent sense of humor. Boy, is it well-directed in a rhythmic way that reminded me of End of the Fucking World. I yeah. agree with you on that. And I would say that... Uh, I was I I very much liked the premiere episode, which is coming on Sunday. So we very much recommend people to do it. I think you liked it a little bit more than me, but what I would say is that it does do what the best crime fiction does, which is it's not really about crime. Mm-hmm. It, this this show to me is about boredom, mm-hmm. and it's about sort of looking for a purpose in a very very funny way. And Sandra O oh is is absolutely dynamite in it. What did you think of the show? I. I love the show. I'm really excited about the show. Uh, I think people should check out Alison Herman's piece about it on The Ringer. Um, I think she really uh, articulates what's great about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's writing as well as what's particularly unique about the show, which is that, yes, it's about all those things that we enjoy. It's hilarious. It's violent. see what it's about, I it's guess. It's violent. It's surprising. It is about uh, Sandra Oh playing a um, MI5 analyst in London who uh, – is basically drawn into a game of cat and mouse with a female assassin who is doing all sorts of dramatic things across mainland Europe. She's played by Jodie Comer or Comer. I actually don't know how to say her name, but I'm just going to take a, I'm going to say Comer for now. Um, who's also spectacular. It is a deeply uh, female show in its sensibilities and its writing, obviously in its performances and generally actually largely in its cast. Mm-hmm. Although homie from four weddings and a funeral has a great, great, great look in the show <laughs> as Sandra was put upon uh, boss. Um, and I, I just found this show deeply satisfying and truly surprising in a way that TV often isn't. And I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is maybe the most exciting writer on television. I'm I'm still Izzy Stevens' clan for life when it sure. comes to Grey's Anatomy, but Christine Yang is is right up there for me. Yeah. So it's really great to see uh, Sandra O oh get San- this look. Sandra O oh is terrific. Where, in this part. Give me what's your Grey's power rankings for doctors? Um, who's the dude who got hit by a bus? George. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's my dude. Because <laughs> um, you, you most feel like him today. <laughs> no, uh, you know actually, you know who kind of got. Don't the say bed? Alex. I'm not okay. Okay. Look, I'm just saying. You like Alex? I, he was overlooked. I felt like in the early seasons that was the There's thankless no role. There's no way that guy is a doctor. Of course. Do you think McSteamy is no, 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 past his medical board? McSteamy actually was good at a part of doctoring. Alex was like, oh man, I put the tube in wrong. I'm so stupid. Have you ever been to an emergency room in New York City? <laughs> no, actually. That guy literally <laughs> intubated me when I went in for a, just like a hangnail. Okay. Like that was super real to me. I, I actually don't have He's a like, good the answer. the passageway is closed, and you're like, yeah, it's because my mouth's not open. <laughs> can you, I can help you with that, yeah. sir. I, I I actually, maybe this is this is kind of a, a, a cheap-out answer, but like, you know, like like the Beatles or something. I just like the original gang. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was such a great cast. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here for what's-his-name who died in train spotting. Like, handsome guy. Oh. Kevin uh, McKidd. Yeah, right. Owen. Owen. Yeah. Trauma surgeon. Yo, sometimes, <laughs> what if you were a trauma surgeon? Me? But like, you I have a temperament for it. I think you do. I don't have the attention to detail, though. No, I'm saying like, what if you just, and I, actually, there may have been a period in like 2006 when you did do this, but like, just introduced yourself as a trauma surgeon. You had none of the oh, credentials. As like, a, as like, just sort of like a, like the game, like Neil Strauss <laughs> <laughs> Just tell people that's what you do. Um, uh, big fan yeah. of Grey's also, Anatomy. And Wait, also, why are we talking about Grey's because, Anatomy? Because of Sandra Oh. Oh, she's good. Yeah. Uh, she's great. Watch this show. Who, we'll talk more your, about it in detail. 
Is he Stevens, man? Catherine Heigl. Is that speaking of distressed assets? Do you still <laughs> do we I still believe in Izzy? Yeah, Heigl Heigl will 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 rise again from the the ashes of the burn bag. Yeah, that we last threw her into thanks to state of play. state of play. Uh, I had a lot of fun checking okay. out. Catherine Heigl has like a very like. 2006 era like blog where she just no. has like long videos about like what she should do with like her study is this interior tr- design is wise. this true yeah it's like a lifestyle blog it's pretty good this is happening now oh yeah I'll show it to you after we're done so Killing Eve Killing and- Eve uh, guys BBC America on Sunday I know you might not have room in your busy calendar but give the show a shot yeah. it's worth it it got renewed for a second season ahead of its premiere it, uh, which is I would even say if you like Barry check out Killing Eve well, you could you could make a nice, nice partner show, a yeah. night of assassinating, yeah. assassinating. Good uh, job by me. Let's talk a little bit about Legion. Um, oh yeah, so a lot of questions coming at us, and uh, a pretty simple answer. Uh, no, I did not work on season two of Legion. I did. Weirdly, so I'm, Chris I'm, did. I'm really happy. Thanks, thanks for sending me up here. I I have uh, I've taken over Legion. What Chris brought to the show in was, front of the camera more than behind, but yeah. What Chris brought to the show was the sort of steely resolve and precision of a trauma surgeon, and also he suggested that the boss be a guy with his head in a basket yeah no uh i did not work on the show uh no ill ill will or hard feelings um the people who did work on the show are terrifically talented and i'm very excited to see what they came up with Uh, we haven't really mentioned it or covered it only because i still feel a little bit too close to it i was Mm -hmm. there during some of the writing of the first season and uh credited on the first season and um it just felt a little strange to be coming back at the show uh critically whether pro or con but i will i will say that having seen some of the first episodes that it's very gratifying to see that there is simply nothing else on tv like this show uh, visually um creatively it's just still firing on a lot of cylinders and 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 shouts to nathaniel halpern who is doing a lot of the writing this year and shouts to no of course and I, I, i'm glad people are enjoying it but yeah I, I can't help you man people were saying like can you explain this Listen, I couldn't no. explain it when I worked on That's the show. That's like the whole, like, you know, Faulkner calling Raymond Chandler and being like, what happens at the end of the big sleep? And Chandler's like, I don't know. <laughs> Chandler said, who is this? Yeah. Just to get into Alexa Fogel, Andy and I have a tendency to obviously probably overvalorize the writing and show running of television shows. And, and that narrative that. is what? We're not alone in that. And we're not alone in that. That is the narrative that has kind of arisen out of this post-Golden Age and peak TV, that showrunners are the auteurs of these television shows. And then when we're not talking about showrunners or writers, we have a tendency to be talking about directors, whether it's Michelle McLaren or uh, Carrie Fukunaga or Steven Soderbergh or whoever happens to be Miguel Sapochnik, um, Reed Morano, like all these people we have a tendency to talk about. S.J. Clarkson. Sorry, now we're just naming directors. S.J. Clarkson, yeah. So many people go into making television shows and so many people can have their signature on a television show and you don't even know it because they don't get talked enough about. And that's one of the major reasons why we wanted to have Alexa Fogel on the watch is because in a lot of ways, Alexa Fogel has as much to do with some of our favorite television shows as any of the other people we've ever publicly associated with them, be it The Wire and David Simon, be it Ozark and Jason Bateman. We have a we have a shorthand to say, nice job by this person, when in fact it's tons of people. And Alexa has this huge role in creating your relationship, mm-hmm. and I mean the royal you, uh, relationship with some of these shows because she's the person who's going out there and finding the faces and finding the personalities of the actors who are going to fill these roles that become iconic. The Omar Littles, the, you know, all these people that we are so, you the know. Paper boys. Paper boys that we're so connected to. She sees them early, early in the game, and she was a fascinating person to talk to. The, I think a hallmark of an Alexa Fogel show is that it is 
it, you don't notice her work because it feels effortless. Mm-hmm. The characters you mentioned, the characters that populate these shows, even up to and including The Deuce, which she worked on, of course, and uh, which we mentioned in our conversation with her. These are shows populated by, by people that do not feel fictional. They mm-hmm. do not feel like performances. Even when they are actors we've seen before, they inhabit these roles and they just become them in a way that is transporting. I would argue that if, if you went through your mental Rolodex of shows that you consider to have the best ensembles or the best performances, she would be credited for a lot of them. But also, it was just usually exciting for us to uh, have a conversation with someone who works so intently on a part of the industry that we give short shrift to. I would also say that Alexa um, not only was very generous with her time, as she was with our friend Jonathan Abrams and her contributions to his uh, All, the Pieces, All the Pieces Matter book about The Wire, she followed up with a very kind um, and very pointed email suggesting that maybe we sometimes mispronounce people's names. It's a fair cop. It's a fair cop. And so thanks to her, uh, not in time for this interview. I don't know if I mentioned it, but it, apparently it's Frank Langella. I've never, I've always kind of hemmed or hawed it, but it's Langella. Okay. And uh, there were a couple, you, you don't want to get on I this. don't know what you're talking about. I have a tendency, I think I, my hit rate on right. pronouncing names yeah. is, is pretty pretty high. So just know that I think she basically <laughs> has volunteered to be the ombudswoman for pronunciation Fantastic. of this podcast going forward. I hope to have Alexa on again. Just a quick housekeeping note. Next week, I will be on the East Coast. Hmm. Um, so uh, I won't be we'll miss here you. doing shows. You have a, We'll have a show on Monday that will feature an interview that I did this week with a really cool filmmaker named Ryan Koo. I know him. Uh, he just has a, he had a film come out on Netflix on Friday. So when you listen to this, it'll be on, I guess, like Thursday at midnight. But it'll be out this weekend. You should definitely check it out. It's called Amateur. It is about the world of prep school basketball. And it stars uh, Michael Rainey Jr. from Power as this 14-year-old phenom who has a basketball clip go viral on the internet. And there's like a sort of a land grab to get to get his services at these various prep schools and stuff. And, and his father and his mother have different ideas about who he should be. Um, and then Josh Charles plays a basketball coach. It's a really, really cool movie. It's it's. It's just like something I know Ryan's been working on for seven years now, so and it's finally coming out. And so you can hear our interview with Ryan Koo on Monday. You should check out Amateur over the weekend. Uh, we will also have our mailbag episode next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the questions. And Andy will be joined by Person X on Monday to, to talk to you about the world of pop culture. Person X is great, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so until then, uh, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, Alexa Fogel. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at Thomas's English yes, Muffins. Yes, we got the, got the endorsement. Are you looking for a breakfast that's worth skipping the snooze button for? Yes. Thomas's is the only breakfast brand that delivers a one-of-a-kind eating experience with its original nooks and crannies English muffin, a staple of both the Ryan and Greenwald breakfast for more than 35, 40 years. Then what are we talking about? And now. I can't believe it. What a dream sponsor. There's nothing quite like nooks and crannies texture, perfectly toasted to give you irresistibly crispy edges with a soft, warm center. Take it from a true fan. The secret to revealing the perfect nooks and crannies goodness every time is to gently pull your Thomas English muffin halves apart. You can use a fork to split them. Just don't use a knife. Next, lightly toast each half and then top them right away with butter. Watch how the butter just melts and pulls inside these amazing nooks and cranny spaces. It's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. If you hadn't had them already, what are you doing? You have to toast and butter some Thomas nooks and crannies English muffins. They are truly like no other. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Billions. 
It's the hit show from Showtime starring Emmy Award winners Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti. The fierce rivalry between hedge fund CEO Bobby Axelrod and U.S. Attorney Chuck Rhodes is more cutthroat than ever. Fortunes, families, and legacies be damned. They will cross every line to take each other down. As the stakes rise, who can they trust? How far will they go to save themselves? Don't miss the awesome new season of Billions. The show Entertainment Weekly calls Bigger and Bolder. Uproxx calls the most addictive show on television. I love it. New episodes Sunday, 10, 9 central, only on Showtime. And our listeners can get an extended 30-day free trial of Showtime to catch up on the first two seasons of Billions by entering promo code THEWATCH at GetShowtime.com. Offer expires April 15th. Well, Andy, now we are joined by someone we're so excited to have on. It's Alexa Fogel, probably one of the most important casting directors in, I would say, the history of television. Is that fair? Certainly in our history of television. In our history of television. Show after show that we love. We we could run through the IMDb, but if you've heard us talk about television over the last six years, whether it's a Hollywood prospectus or with The Watch, you have heard us talk about Alexa's work, even if we didn't always know it. The list of shows that she has cast is almost too long to mention, but even just some of the hits, Atlanta. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't scream it because I don't want to embarrass myself, but Ozark, The Mist, Banshee, Show Me a Hero, multiple collaborations with David Simon, True Detective. Including The Wire. Yeah, including The Wire, including Treme, uh, In Treatment. It, the Only the second on on. season. Only the second season of In Treatment. because well, the first season was cast very poorly. I, <laughs> no, I, I can say that, you can't. Um, all the way back to NYPD Blue, we're so, so happy to be joined by Alexa Fogel. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. So we wanted to start... Um, specifically with Atlanta, because it's on right now, and obviously we love it. And one of the reasons we're so excited to have you here is not just to talk about Atlanta, but to talk about the work that you do, which is too often uh, not appreciated, but very often not understood. So I wanted to talk specifically about Atlanta because this past week's episode, it was the fourth episode of the season, and it's the one where they go to the German uh, village, village yeah. party. Specifically, it's a showcase for Zazie Beetz, who is incredible in the episode and one of the breakout stars of TV from the last few years, in my opinion. I'm, this is a long <laughs> runway because you may tell me that, oh, she came with the package before you were associated with the show. But I wanted to use her maybe as a way into discussing what you do and how you do it because she's so incredible. I'd never seen her before. And now look what she's doing week to week on the best show on television. I think... You know, when you talk about the process of casting and the way that I work, I think you're also talking about writing. Mm-hmm. And I'm really fortunate because I work with wonderful writers. Uh, in Zazie's case, uh, interestingly, she had just been cast in a recurring role on The Deuce when we were doing the auditions for Atlanta. Okay. Um, which she obviously didn't end up doing. Um, But I think, again, you know, that process is something... I'm a huge believer in process. You can't... You never read a script and think of somebody and have that be the outcome. It doesn't work that way. It really is about Donald's writing, us all being in the room, bringing people and doing the work. And that is what happened. You know, we got down to a couple people, both wonderful actresses, and it's the alchemy and um you know Zazie was doing uh, this almost didn't work out she was doing a small independent film they were in there last week they had a location that um couldn't be moved and it was the week we were shooting Atlanta and it was very very touch and go like last minute Mm -hmm. hysterical conversations and 
I think we ended up moving our schedule by a couple days so that she could do Atlanta. Okay. You know, it's that moment when an actor has been working really hard to try and get to a place. They have no money. You know, it's a, you have no idea what's going to happen with the show. It's on the page a little bit unusual. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then the rest is history. What what do you see in in someone that makes you think of them for the next thing? Because I, I've heard when I talk to actors, they will say not that a director remembered them or saw them, but right. it was the casting director who saw them multiple times, who maybe cast them in a guest spot, but kept them in mind. There was always something that, that the casting director saw that then when the slot opened, they were able to fit them in that slot. So when you talk about Zazie or, or any other of the many people you've cast, what made you think she can do the deuce, she can do this? Well, part of our job is to understand the whole body of work. Mm -hmm. It's not to think in those sort of narrow terms. You know, a director is thinking about that piece only. Right. And we're thinking about the whole career, the whole body of work. And I say this all the time because, you know, an, an actor coming in and doing a good audition and not being quite right for that part, it all goes into this computer that is meant to work over a decade or more. Um, do you mean an actual computer you, or your you mind? Yes. No, my mind. <laughs> That's what I thought, yeah. um, You know, so, so that good audition, when you don't get the role, is still serving a purpose because this is a long game. Yeah. You know, and I think Jonathan Abrams told the story when he was here. It's a more sort of sexy, famous one, but you know, Michael K. Williams had auditioned for Oz and not gotten it. Mm-hmm. And I remembered him. And, you know, that is a sexier version of that in terms of him getting the wire. But but the our job is to understand, you know, the qualities that an actor has <clears throat> that may be right for lots of different kinds of things because it's an instrument that does more than one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also how it changes over years because actors do change. They mature and they grow into different kinds of things that they can do emotionally that they couldn't do when they were 25. You know, you can't play um, certain kinds of roles when you just get out of school. Yeah. I think one of the things that I find fascinating about what you do is how it, it it's also representative of, of the entire production process, whether it's for television or films, but specifically here for television, and how little we really understand about it when we're talking about these things. And even when we casually refer to somebody dropping out of a role or somebody was rumored to be doing this but now is not and is going to be doing something else. It sounds like what you have to do is balance this, the art and the craft of it. And you're obviously seeing someone who you think is right for the soul of this character and is like going to bring this character to life. But all this stuff with like, well, they're going to be filming something else somewhere else at this time and can we make this happen and it's almost you're basically a producer as well in a lot of ways because you're you're you have to keep your eye on all this other stuff you can't be fully in love with this because it could fall apart and then you have to have come fix it right i mean it's constantly well there are a lot of practical and administrative components to this there's no question about it you have to do a lot of things at the same time there are times when it feels as though if it doesn't work out you know, life will never be the same. <laughs> there are jobs like that, mm-hmm. and yeah. there are roles like that where you can't cast it. It's just not happening. And then finally, something the dime drops with the right person. Can you think of one of particular where that where you felt like that for me? Yeah, just the, it took yeah. for a long time to cast, or it seemed impossible. Uh, the role that Alexander Skarsgård played in Generation Kill. Oh wow, that mm-hmm. came very down to the wire. It was impossibly difficult. Um, role because the character talked all the time and it's based on a real person as all of those guys were and um, 
it, <laughs> every casting director experiences this. Not on every project, but on some projects. There is a role that when you see it on your audition sheet, you're filled with dread <laughs> because you've read it. You read with the actors. You've read it so many times that even the actors are good. They're doing their best, but it's not, it's not, doing, it's not fulfilling itself the way the page is asking it to. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to do it again, and it's going to feel at the hundredth time like time is standing still for you. Right. In some, even though you're entirely present, you're there with the actor. Every time an actor walks into the room, you want it to work out. You know, you're rooting for them mm-hmm. every single time. But um, in that case, when and Alex auditioned many, many times, this didn't happen instantly. It was over the course of time. But the first time he came in, I heard it in a way I had never heard it before. I understood the language. I understood what the character was saying. It just made sense. Do you remember having to see, were there a lot of other people that you were seeing for that role or was it always Alex, but it was about like getting it to him? No, no, no. He, nobody knew who he was. <laughs> right. At all. And this was the first David Simon project after The Wire, I think, right? And we were still doing The Wire. Oh, wow. I was doing them at the same time. Okay. When you see then Alexander Skarsgård on stage at the Golden Globes, what sort of feeling do you have about seeing this person that you saw at a very delicate moment in their career um i mean it's a very yeah it's very emotional i mean that's a very we we both went through so much over the course of you know a month and a half two months on the road to him getting Mm -hmm. that role (laughs) um it's that you form with some actors it's a very intimate kind of friendship because you have no skin in the game. You know, yeah. I don't get a percentage of anything. It's all, it's all about serving the piece. Mm-hmm. And also, in some cases, in The Wire, Generation Kill, those jobs were as meaningful for me as they were for the cast. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very, it's very moving. David Simon, obviously, we were talking about him because we've mentioned a number of his shows. Famously... <laughs> infamously, s- strong-willed, very opinionated guy. Um, as I imagine, honestly, most creators are in these very tense moments when they need to have something realized as they have it in their head and they're looking to you to help them accomplish that. How do you, and we can talk specifically about David just because I keep saying his name, how do you negotiate that relationship where he he knows what he wants, sometimes you might know better or you might suggest something different? How do you manage those relationships in the, the micro of each particular role in order to maintain the macro if you've worked with him again and again and you've learned to trust each other. This is a totally collaborative relationship and process. The, the David Simon on Twitter is not the David Simon <laughs> of So he of doesn't our, burst into a room and say, no, you have to no, read no, this no. piece in, in the Atlantic. In, 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 <laughs> no. Um, no, absolutely not. I mean, we, we all have respect for each other in terms of what our areas of expertise are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I started following David on Twitter right away. He must have taken that very personally. No, no, I don't think he even knows if I, that I do. Okay. Right? Um, but uh, occasionally, I will sort of go to Nina Noble and say, is there a reason why that I don't have a script? Because it's He's, very busy. You should work at the rear. That happens all the time. <laughs> when you see, you, you see them on homework. Doing <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you'll be like, where's this piece? And then you see the person's on the 13th Black Panther tweet, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, no, I mean, th- those, we all work very well together. I mean, it's it's not, 
there's no sort of, you must do this this way, and this is what I'm looking let, for. Let me reframe the question then, because the, <laughs> one of the things that makes his show so exceptional, his project so exceptional, is there's a level of verisimilitude, or at least to the audience's eye, in the casting and in the performance. He cast, you cast together, people in The Wire who had never acted before, uh, who people who, um, I'd imagine, you well, can stop me on that. The, the most of the people you're talking about like that I didn't cast the the Baltimore casting director did okay, okay. so you were casting would be the, local okay so cast but you I cast mean we worked together ha- but people who had to be plausible then in- yeah I mean what I would say is that we all understand and agree that in most of the and we did this with show me a hero too mm-hmm. um, in most of the pieces and to some degree the deuce but slightly less so you know, in order to be authentic, mm-hmm. there are certain roles in which you can use people who bring something because you don't need them to do much in terms of carrying an arc mm-hmm. or telling the story in a certain way. And I can tell the difference between what's required because I know how much acting is needed. Mm-hmm. And authenticity is something that we're all very clear about and very focused on. And in all those wor- worlds mm-hmm. need to be completely real. Um, whatever worlds they are, whether mm-hmm. it's recon marines or you know the streets of Baltimore or um, whatever's next. Yeah. Um, but you know the word w- nothing is improvised, but it's all very well written. So when I'm in the audition room, it falls fairly trippingly off the tongue. Right. And that tends to be true of all good writing. One more about the David Simon verse. Sure. I see to you in the Ozarks because I know you're dying to ask about that. <laughs> but twice now, probably more, but just off the top of my head, you've cast um, British actors on David Simon projects who, like Idris Elba, I'm thinking of, and then on The Deuce, uh, my goodness, Gary, uh, Gary Carr. Gary Carr, who from the moment they come on screen, they are electric and they're incredible and charismatic. And my first thought is, who are these people? And my second thought is, why aren't they already the biggest star in the world? And they slip into this. Um, can you talk about finding those two actors in particular, or maybe how that speaks to what your job is in general? Because they, they're large, they seem bigger than the world already when they step into it, and it's wonderful. Well, Idris was living in New York at that time, and he had auditioned for a film I was doing, a feature I was doing, and not gotten it right during 9-11, right mm-hmm. before I did The Wire. And I was really irritated that he hadn't gotten that. (laughs) Because um, I think he had recently done a play off-off Broadway. Um, I mean, you know, it it wasn't complicated. The thing is, when you do what I do, it's it's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. He was a wonderful actor. And I heard him tell this story, actually, and I had forgotten about it, about... I don't think I've ever done this before or since that I told him not to let them hear his British accent. Oh. And I think the reason I must have done it is because it had to have had an effect on him not getting the feature. Mm. Okay. Um, but I heard him tell that story on NPR when I was driving back from Maine. <laughs> it, it, did he tell it in a British accent or was he still hiding? <laughs> no, he told it he in told a British it. accent. Yeah. Um, Terry Gross gets the real yeah, British yeah, accent. Yeah. She yeah. can handle it. So he was in New York and I saw a lot of people for The Wire and um, – he he was great. And I also think because the, that character had to play a lot of different sides of, you know, he was trying to improve himself in one way and be a businessman, and he was also coming from a different, you know, dealing with Barksdale and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So it, it just suited him. In terms of Gary, um, 
I've spent a lot of time working in the UK. I tend to cast a wide net when it comes to certain kinds of characters anyway. Um, and his he's someone that I knew already. I knew that for the pimps in the deuce, I was going to have to find people that had a certain kind of um, dexterity when it came to language. Mm-hmm. Um, Hence some rappers in the mix as yeah. well. Singers, yeah. Tariq, Trotter. That's right. Um, that role was very hard to cast God, because he, yeah, he was great. And I was, that, I was incredibly focused on him for that part mm-hmm. because those monologues about Vietnam and all that stuff, you know, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Gary also is a musician mm-hmm. and his British agent is someone I've known for a long, long time. And, you know, we would talk from time to time about looking for something for him. And again, you know, it's about the audition process. The process is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get there quite in the beginning, then we can work on it and see if they get there. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens before David and George and Nina see people too. Yeah. And then we get in the room and do it all together. What happens when um, it's something like True Detective or, or Ozark, but but specifically True Detective, <coughs> where the two leads are, I would imagine. So ha- like with that, is that something that it's brought to you and Matthew and Woody are a part of it already? That's the package that yes. went out and yeah. sold. And you're, and you're casting against that already. Is there adva- advantages to that? Is there disadvantages to that with, instead of doing top down? It's the only the time I've really done that. Oh, okay. So advantages... I mean, you know, you just have to cast the leads. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But I guess that those two guys set the tone for the show in a way that that would be completely different if it had been, you know, if it had been Jason Bateman and and somebody else playing those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there something that for us, you know, not we're not part of the the process. It is not um, a job for us. So we tend to we can use sort of airier words like. you know, they're, they're genuine in the role. It's believable. All these sort of critic words that we use when we talk about generally your projects. These people in Atlanta this season, the guy who plays Tracy. I mean, I don't, I don't know where he came from other than to play this role. And when he appears, it's just like, well, this guy's always been in that house. Yeah, it makes right. perfect sense. Right. Stealing do you ha- cards. Do you have your own internal professional language to describe these qualities that we are talking about? And, and how do you know it when you see it? You know, I wouldn't say that I see it the way that you see it. I would say that I have a lot of faith in what actors can do, particularly, um, and and I'm not not confining it to this, Mm -hmm. but particularly actors who are trained, Mm -hmm. as he is. He's a theater actor. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to give them a chance to try other things Mm -hmm. that you just have to keep it really wide. I mean... I actually had a conversation with his manager the other day who was thanking me. I was talking to her about something else because I think she's surprised too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, certain kinds of theater actors can do a whole lot of things that people like you guys don't know about. Yes. Yeah. Like Brian Tyree Henry also right. on, on stage in Book of Mormon and then I think giving the best performance week to week on television full stop as Paperboy. But I understand what those muscles are because yeah. I studied to be a theater director you know I understand what all those weird theater games are so I know you know what those muscles are yeah um, so sometimes it's just a question of thinking about not thinking about comedy mm-hmm. or comedic people but thinking about you know what giving them a chance to see what they bring without putting anyone on the spot um, like me <laughs> no you sorry everyone but you I'm you're, off, on, I'm you're, off the clock you're on the spot but I, I, I'm wondering if you could tell us about 
a time when you really had to fight for someone and that you were probably right. Now, I, I don't want you to tell a story that puts a director in the bad light unless you, or the, or the showrunner or whatever, unless you've already talked about this and they're comfortable being like, no, Alexa was right on this one. I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything that um, cut and dry. Mm-hmm. I would say it's just, there are times when the process itself gets stressful, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it can have to do with a lot of different things. It can have to do with the time that's left or um, the amount of people in the conversation. You know, the the Alex Garsgård thing was really stressful because this was a, about an American Marine who was alive. Mm-hmm. He's Swedish. <laughs> it was a British production with a British director, a Scottish producer, an American casting director, <laughs> The person who was the head of HBO was British. Mm-hmm. So it was, the conversations were very hard. Yeah. And, but, but everybody's heart was in the right place. Right. So it wasn't. People weren't wrong. They were advocating for their position. Well, or they were trying to, to figure out, you know, if we could do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew what I saw. Um, I knew, I also, this is going to sound incredibly pretentious, but I am from, a classical music family on my mother's side and I have a very good ear. Mm-hmm. And I knew that his very slight Swedish S was not a problem because mm-hmm. his syntax was all American. Right. I don't know if it's because he traveled a lot with his dad when he was a kid mm-hmm. on movie sets, but his actual phrasing was not European. Right. So I knew, and I kn- knew I also knew who the best dialect coach was, so I wasn't worried about that. Hmm. Um, but if you don't know about that stuff... It can be scary. The element of music in all this that's come up twice now is really interesting. I, well, I, it's it, sort it of sense, about rhythm, too. Yeah. Right. You know. I was curious about how, I mean, we often talk on the show about the changing landscape of television and especially just the volume of shows that's, that are on now. And I was wondering whether or not this sort of unprecedented time of production has had any adv- adverse or advantageous impacts on like what you do just the amount of stuff that's being mm-hmm. produced at any given moment, people having all these different commitments. I would imagine we were just joking around about seeing Glenn Fleshler on three or four different things at any given moment. And what that actually does to the viewer where you see him in Waco and you see him in Barry and you see him in two other things. And you're like, Oh, there's that guy again. But is it, is it harder or easier to do your job today than it was say five years ago? You know, my world hasn't changed so much. Um, but I think in some ways it's probably better for some casting directors because there's more work. Yeah. And in some ways it's probably more difficult because I think that we are uh, – this is very tricky. Um, we have to fight very, very hard to be um, compensated, to be, you know, taken care of, you know, within the – whole productions and I think that you know studios and it's just tough I mean that's I not not I read something an interview you did back in 1999 I think right when you had sort of left ABC right I think we're a little after that uh but you were taught you were saying research but you were saying the same thing about this idea that you're essentially packaging these shows for for these producers for these networks and not necessarily being treated as like the equal part of the production the way, say, an EP who just comes sort of in, maybe puts their name on it does. I mean, you have to sort of decide what's important to you. Yeah. And um, I 
had to decide that what was important to me was to work on great writing with people who respect me. Right. So I got to do that. But, you know, I think that if I had made a decision that I wanted to, you know, make a lot of money, I would not have been able to make that decision. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> who, um, there might not be a quick answer for this, but I'm hoping there is. Um, who that you cast in their first major role, who has surprised you the most about the career he or she has had? Not that you didn't think. Why? Because I, I didn't think they would do well? No, because I can't, I imagine you can't think that about anyone that you cast, but I just more like, you, you you know you cast them in that job and they did a good job and oh my goodness this person I'm not is surprised now. by any of it. Okay, that's what I, I, that, that's the very <laughs> I am on my I, I think that every bit of success that you know Michael Jordan or Alex Skarsgård or Laura Linney right they, I mean, Michael any Jordan of them. was a kid and you cast them to do this right, incredibly but I mean, difficult thing. I don't think about stardom. Right. You know, I think about wonderful actors playing these great parts. And I know they're all going to have long careers because they're all good. Yes. Because if the writing is good, the people that are going to play those roles are never going to play just one part. Yeah. That's just the reality, you know. And so I expect that there will be some kind of success beyond if it's the first role. Right. So if J.K. Simmons shows up and he's in Whiplash, you're just like, that's not, that's not a surprise at all. I, it's thrilling. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's fun about what I do and the people that I work with is, you know, JK was a song and dance man on Broadway and Tom Fontana is a theater guy too. So he's in Guys and Dolls. Right. Yeah. So, but, but that's what's great about working with someone like Tom is that we get that. Mm -hmm. That, as I said, you know, it's a big instrument, meaning mm -hmm. JK. Yeah. So, yeah, of course he can play that scary dude. Yeah. He can either lead or drag. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, I'm going to try one more time to get you to name a name, and then I'll, and I'll back <laughs> off. Um, who, is there someone, or story, not Alexander Skarsgård, who uh, you, you were really rooting for, who you remembered for the longest time before the right opportunity presented itself for that actor to shine? I mean, that's a question you should have sent ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was doing the research. I was, I'm, I'm just improving here. I'm sure there is somebody that I have had in mind for a long, long time that finally got a job. But it probably isn't somebody you know. Right. You yeah. know, it's probably someone, you have to understand that there are actors um, like John Bedford Lloyd, mm -hmm. who... Um, I just saw when he came in to audition for something and he's going to be in the next season of Ozark. And I've known him in my audition room and in the waiting room for such a long time. He just told me he had his first grandchild. Oh, my gosh. Like, it, it's those guys. Like, this is yeah. the life of a casting director, too. We know these actors for decades. And the, it's a partnership. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that people have to understand. It's not just about the Alexander Skarsgårds. Right. It's about... All of these people, it's about the whole casts. Um, so I would say that, you know, and I have cast him on a few shows, but probably that's that would be a good example. It's a great one. And I, I think about, when I think about the work you've done, I do think about, like, the Tracys. I don't remember. The, I, I didn't even say the actor's name. I'm just saying the character. Um, but, like, Dominique Fishback, for example, who was so strong in Show Me a Hero and then mm -hmm. has this opportunity in the deuce 
to build on the good work she's done and break out, you know, and she's just terrific in it. And that takes the belief of not just someone, not just you, but of, of George and, and David Simon to see, as you said, the arc of it. And then when we get to see that and take the time to notice that, I think then, then the system is humming as it's supposed to be. I was kind of curious about working with actors multiple times in roles, like whether it's somebody like James Ransom or Michael Kay, and um, whether or not you're participating in... Because his character, James Ransom's character in Generation Kill is different than his character in The Wire. Michael Kay is different in Night Of than he is in in the wire but you're still you know I didn't cast the night of no I know I'm just saying like in terms of his like arc in in different shows like uh, they are like how does it work when it comes to using somebody multiple times in in shows in different shows and you're going back and you're saying okay I'm going to use this person in this way now do you do you always have like their baseline skills that you're kind of thinking about or do they come and do you see them evolve over time and you're saying okay well maybe this would be right for this person here well I don't I don't know. I mean, in terms of actors like that, I don't know how many times that's happened for me, except on the David Simon Mm -hmm. things. And that's, I think that's really just about this kind of repertory family, you Mm -hmm. know, Wendell Pierce, um, now Larry Gilliard, you know, a certain Mm -hmm. amount of time passes too. um, And I think that's a discussion we have all together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we feel the roles are different enough and the audience is going to see the character and not be thinking about the first one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that we all approach that with the purity of the piece that's in front of us. I hope that doesn't sound pretentious. No, not at all. Don't. Do you want to ask about NYPD Blue? We have, we have, we have. I don't know if I, I can remember any of this. Because you were, did at, you, I did you, the New York casting. You were at ABC prior to going. So the New York casting that, wasn't. With Junie Lowry, Johnson, who did the casting out here, we okay. did it together. Okay, so the, do you guys see? Do you do you see Caruso come in and, and read for John Kelly, or was that, is that name, the name of the character? I think John Kelly is the character. He, it, he must have. I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, it was such a long time. She ago. only remembers Jimmy Smith. That's the, <laughs> the nicest the man. Yeah. Is he? There you go. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's why he keeps working. I imagine. <laughs> um, in uh, just to wrap up. I think we even said this a little bit in the in the emails that we sent. What frustrates you most or what would you most like to communicate to people about your job? Because, you know, we talk about what you do. We talk about the shows that your fingerprints are all over constantly. And yet we've never talked to you until today. We've never had a casting director on to talk about it. So what what, what do you like, what would you like to communicate about the work that the casting director does in this industry. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's um, it's yeah, it's a very specific craft that is very hard work. Um, but it's something that I think those of us who are good at it love what we do. And um, I think, yeah, it's so tricky. Um, I think I guess just people to understand that there are casting directors who are working hard behind the scenes, working with material, bringing actors and material together and um, working with directors and writers and trying to kind of make that soup work and that you can't do it without them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, this When people say, oh, the director discovered this person. Yeah, right. Sure, but they were given six people. You know, they weren't 
out there pounding the pavement, looking at headshots, do, taking every audition, right? When I was doing, um, I worked with um, a showrunner, director I love, Greg Gitanis on Banshee. One, yeah. of my, one of my favorite shows. Happy to say its name on this podcast. And um, when we were casting the female lead mm-hmm. of uh, Quarry, mm-hmm. which I also did with him. Which, let me just say again, since we've said the name, one of the great tragedies of the last five years that they blew it and couldn't find a way to make a second season. Unbelievable. I loved that. So uh, this this is an email exchange that my casting associate subsequently framed and gave me for Christmas. <laughs> um, but this it says something about the relationship of the trust between, you know, a good casting director or a good director after you've worked together a bit. So I wrote to him the name of an actress was in the subject line, and I said, um, so-and-so, she's really uh, special. She's got the depth of blah, 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 blah. And um, she's naturally blind. And he wrote back and he went, really? Blind, blind? <laughs> she was doing a play in London at yeah. the time. <laughs> and my casting associate who was copied wrote back and went, she means blonde. <laughs> but the- and he wrote... You know, because it was Alexa, I was kind of willing to go there. Yeah, that's See, what I was going to say. It, it works. <laughs> what a compliment. <laughs> what a testament to your That's really funny. Um, so in closing, thank you for talking to us. But people who are listening, watch the credits. Look at all the names in the credits. Thank and you. there are connections to be made in things that you love that are below the line across all the things that you love on Thank television. you very much. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Thomas English Muffins. Here's a breakfast I always get out of bed for. Thomas, original Nooks and Crannies English Muffins. There's nothing quite like that irresistible Nooks and Crannies texture. Perfectly toasted, crispy edges with a soft, warm center. How the butter pools inside all those Nooks and Crannies spaces is just amazing. It's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English Muffins are truly like no other. Today's show is brought to you by the hit Showtime series Billions, starring Emmy Award winners Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti. The fierce rivalry between hedge fund CEO Bobby Axelrod and U.S. Attorney Chuck Rhodes is more cutthroat than ever. Don't miss the awesome new season of Billions. The show Entertainment Weekly calls Bigger and Bolder and Uproxx calls the most addictive show on TV. With new episodes Sundays at 10, 9 central only on Showtime. And our listeners can get an extended 30-day free trial of Showtime to catch up on the first two seasons of Billions by entering code THEWATCH at GetShowtime.com. The offer expires April 15th.